All right. Well, kids, I'm excited to open God's Word for, with you today. Um, so parents, before we dig into the message for the adults today, we're going to have a, about a five-minute message for the kids. And so kids, why don't you gather around and, and listen to what the Lord has to say from Scripture today. Now, children, have you ever had a bad day before? I mean, like a really bad day. Seriously, have you, have you just looked back and you think, man, that was a really bad, awful day? No good, terrible. Isn't there a children's book, the no good, terrible, bad day? Uh, think about this day for a second. You get up and you're walking, right? You get out of your bed, you're walking to the kitchen, you're going to go get some cereal, and you stub, and you stub your toe. Oh, that's a terrible start to the day. You stub your toe. Now you got a sore toe. Then you get in the kitchen, you pour some cereal, you go to get the milk out of the fridge, and you realize there's no more milk left. No more milk for your favorite cereal, and you got a sore toe. Okay, the day is getting worse. Then you say, okay, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to put my favorite t-shirt on. That's going to make me feel better. So you go downstairs. You go to get your very favorite t-shirt on. You get down there, and you forget that you spilled chocolate pudding all down the front of it yesterday, and it's dirty sitting in a pile on the floor. Oh, your favorite t-shirt's done. Now you got no milk for your cereal. You got a stub toe, and your favorite t-shirt's gone. You walk outside, and as you're walking out the front door, this is the worst part of the whole thing, and maybe you know what I'm talking about. You're walking out the front door, you're getting ready to go to school, and you don't see a huge spider web that's right in the middle. Have you ever done this before? There's right in the middle, there's a big spider web, and you walk into it and you feel the spider web go all over you, and then you feel the little spider go on your neck. And you ever do that? You kind of like jump and, oh, there's a spider on me? So you got a sore toe, no cereal, not your favorite shirt, and you think maybe there's a spider on you, and you know there's a spider web in your hair. And then the worst. You get to the car, you go to get in, and you sit down and you realize you left your window open last night and it rained and your whole seat is wet and now you have wet pants and you have to go to school. Now I have a question. That's a pretty terrible start to the day. How would you feel on that day? You'd probably feel pretty yucky inside, wouldn't you? Now, what would happen if you got to school and all of that happened and in their mind you're thinking how bad your day was and all your friends want to just play with you when you get there, but you really don't want to play with them. And so what you do is instead of playing with them, you just go find a quiet seat. You go find your favorite place in the class and you don't talk to anybody. You just need to be alone and quiet for a little bit. Now, what if when you went and sat down, one of the other children in the classroom said, look how mean she's being. She is not talking to us. She is not playing with us. What a mean, what a mean person she's being today. Wouldn't that hurt your feelings? I mean, wouldn't you want to stand up and say, wait a second, you don't know all the things that happened to me. I stubbed my toe, I got chocolate pudding on my shirt. I think there's still a spider in my shirt somewhere that I got on right now and I have wet pants because I'm not mean. I'm not mean, I, I just had a really bad morning. See, what happens sometimes is with that child, when the person, when the, the child called you mean, what they were doing is what the Bible calls judging somebody. They were judging you. That means when you think bad thoughts about them and you kind of determine something negative about them, something not right about them, and then you think a mean thought about that person without knowing their whole story. Now, in that story, it was somebody else who was mean to you and they didn't know your whole story. They didn't know the no good, terrible day that you had this morning. But sometimes when we're mean to other people or when we think mean thoughts about them or when we say something mean about them, 
sometimes we judge other people and we don't know their whole story. We don't know all the, the, the not good things that happen in their day or in their week. And we don't know if they stubbed their toe that morning or anything like that. And Jesus comes to us in Matthew chapter 7. I got my Bible right here. It's open to a book called Matthew. And in chapter 7, he says, judge not. That means don't judge anybody so that you will not be judged. So Jesus' command to us, and this is what I want you to hear, kids, is that we are not called to judge other people, but God wants us to love other people. Don't judge, but instead love. Now, it's really cool. This is actually what Jesus has done for you. Think about this for a second. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, he looks at you and he knows all the mistakes you've ever made. He knows about that time you were mean to your sister. He knows about that time you poked somebody in the eye. He knows about that time that you were mean and yelled at your parents. He knows about all the stuff you've ever done that were wrong. But if you believe in Jesus, he just forgives you because Jesus went to the cross for you. He died in your place. And so now whenever Jesus looks at you, he's not looking at you going, oh, that's a troublemaker. He's, this, is a, this is someone who poked that person in the eye. No, instead what he's doing is he's looking at you and saying, I love you. I love you so much that I went to the cross for you. And so now what he does is when you believe in Jesus, he wants you to kind of be like Jesus was to you. He wants you to do that to other people. Rather than judging other people because of the mistakes they make or because of the things that you think they're doing wrong when you don't even know their whole story, he wants you to love them instead. Look, if Jesus can love you as much as he's loved you, don't you think you can love other people in your class, in your, in your school, your neighbors? You know, something I found in my life is that sometimes people that are being mean or people that you think are being mean, you know what they most need? They most need a friend. They most need someone to go up to them and love them the way Jesus loved you. They most need someone to not judge them and think mean thoughts about them, but to just say, hey, you want to play a game? And I have found in my life that that helps so much. And in some ways, it's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. So here's what I want you to do this week. Whenever you are thinking in your heart or you hear someone else doing something that's judging someone else, thinking a mean thought about them before you know the whole story, before you know everything that happened, whenever you hear that, here's a prayer you can pray. And I've been giving you prayers every week, but I really want you to try to say this prayer. Jesus, would you help me to not judge this person, but instead to love this person? And then I want you to try to find a way to love them. You think you can do this? Kids, sometimes adults need to learn this lesson so much. And I have also found that children sometimes can do this even better than adults can. So I want you to teach the parents and, your, and the adults around you this week what it looks like to really love people the way Jesus loved you. All right? All right. Thank you, kids. Now, parents, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7 as we dig into this very important text on judging. Heavenly Father, as we open the Word right now, as we follow up to what the children just learned and kind of expand a little bit deeper, I pray that you would do a powerful work. We need to hear this. We are a judgmental people. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would root that out of us today. I pray that there would be a powerful work of the Spirit where people's lives would be changed because they see Jesus with greater clarity and then they live their life different. I pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
I was reading a poll recently about people's views on Christianity. People's views on Christianity. Now, I bring this kind of stuff up every once in a while. I think it's good to know what other people are thinking about Christians. If you're a Christian, what does the world think about you? You know, what we would want them to think about us is that we're just like Jesus. That's, that would be awesome. If they looked at us and they said, man, you know, those people are a lot like Jesus. Those people, man, they love sacrificially. They, they, they stand for something. And that would be great if they looked at us and they said that. One survey uh, found that 90%, 90% of respondents to this particular survey believed that Christians were judgmental. Now, here's what, if you're like me and you hear a statistic like that, usually what I do is I try to say, ah, they don't understand. They're not getting the term. They're, they're, They're misunderstanding us and we're actually not judgmental. I've done that before. But as I've thought about it this week, I actually think they might be right. I wonder how judgmental we are. I wonder how quick we are to kind of gauge someone else's life, see them through the worst lens possible and make assumptions about them without knowing the whole story. I actually think I see this a lot. And can I just say this to begin? What a tragedy. We are ambassadors for Christ carrying the gospel message with us and judging another person is quite literally right near the core of what actually the gospel is all about as we're going to see today. Today we begin chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, and this particular chapter, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's all about the kingdom ethic, the way we live our life, the way we relate to God vertically, and then horizontally, the way we relate to other people. And chapter 7 is all about relationships. It's how we treat one another within the context of relationships with each other. And the reality is, is that the Christian relationships, whether you're talking about Christian friendships with Christians, Christian friendships with non-Christians, you name it, Christians ought to be marked by this powerful relational edge that is just covered in grace. We're quick to forgive. We're quick to show mercy. We're quick to love. We're quick to show up. We're quick to pray with people. That ought to be just people know you for that. That's the kind of person you are. Meanwhile, 90% of the world knows us uh, as judgmental. And today we come across what is certainly one of the most misquoted and misused verses in all of scripture and yet totally relevant. It's so misquoted. I hear people misquote this all the time. And the passage is in scripture. You heard me read it to the kids where Jesus says, judge not so that you will not be judged. Or the ESV reads, judge not that you might, that you be not judged. Now, oftentimes when I hear people misquote this, it's from folks outside of the church who are trying to find an excuse for some sinful pattern of life they're living in. And they're saying, hey, the Bible says, don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge me. What does this passage actually mean? That's the way I normally hear people use it. What does it actually mean in full? Well, let's read the whole passage, and then I think we can get to this passage and understand and try to figure out why it's so often misquoted. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Judge not that you might not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, that will, uh, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a whole log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
Now let's start with a real simple definition. Judge not that you might not be judged. What does the word judge mean? Well, in scripture, the word judge can mean a whole bunch of different things. It can mean condemning and avenging. And I think in some ways that idea is wrapped up in the term judge. We're not to condemn others or, or avenge others because of what they've done to us. More often than not, it's used in a sense of acting like a judge, of analyzing and evaluating a person. And I think that's really near the heart of what Jesus is getting at when he says, don't judge. Essentially, I, I like the way Andy Stanley describes this, actually. Pastor Andy Stanley, he says, what this is saying is, don't, don't size a person up and write them off. You know, you look at a person, you make a, quick, a few quick assumptions about them based on the way they look, based on the way they speak, based on a couple of things you noticed about them with a few things, and then you size them up and you just write them off. I kind of got you figured out. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that's not what you do. I mean, that's what the world does. We make quick assumptions about people, but not my followers. So don't judge people. Don't, don't size them up and write them off quickly. And it's really interesting. He's got this great play on words. And actually, if you've been following this sermon series, you'll notice Jesus has been doing plays on words almost every week. The way this actually reads, he's, he says, uh, uh, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measurement you measure, you will be measured. And what he's, he's trying to get you to think about judgment and, and measurement. What measurement are you using to gauge another person? That's the question he's asking there. When you size someone up and write them off, you, you, you have some standard that you've set of what you think they ought to look like, what you think your box is of what a good and decent person is and what a person ought to behave like, and you've created that standard. That's your measurement that you have. And then when someone doesn't meet that measurement, you write them off. Well, the question is, what measurement are you using? See, oftentimes we create our own measurements rather than looking to the word of God to understand what his standard is. We see a person's mistakes. We see their worst moments. We see their scars, their weaknesses, their insecurities. And we measure them up. We write them off. We kind of put them in a long list of people that we know. We got our favorite people up top. We got our least favorite people down to the bottom. And they're kind of somewhere in here. They got an order to them. Write up, size them up and write them off. What measurement are you using? And Jesus says, with the measurement you use to judge them, I'm going to judge you. So, so if you want to go about this, if you want to go about creating some false standard whereby we size people up and write them off, Jesus says, what, what if I were to do that to you? How would that go for me, for you? And the reality is that none of us would live up to our own standard. We have such a great way of thinking the world about ourselves and thinking tragedy about another person. Jesus says, what if, what if I did this to you? The reality is, again, starting with the Sermon on the Mount, we already know the measurement that God is going to judge us by. Matthew 5, 48. Now, ready for this? Matthew 5, 48. Here's the measurement. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And all God's people said, uh-oh, right? You must be perfect. In other words, Jesus says, here's the standard whereby I, I, I'm going to measure you by. The standard that I'm going to measure you by is the person in the life of Jesus Christ. He's it. That's the, that's the standard of righteousness. Now, what do we find when we compare ourselves to that standard of perfection? The reality is, is that every person, I don't care who you are, if you're Mother Teresa, you fall short of that standard. Every person falls short of that standard. 
Therefore, when we then judge another person, basically it's like this. It's like two people being in a boat in the middle of the ocean and the boat, no other boats are around. You're miles and miles away from anybody. It's a terrible storm. The boat has sprung a leak. It's going down. And you look at the one other person in the boat and you say, man, you're about to drown. <laughs> and the person looks at you and goes, buddy, <laughs> I got news for you. We're both about to drown. See, when you judge another person, what you're doing is you're, you're looking at their situation and you're not realizing that you're in the same exact boat as them because both of you have fallen short of the standard of righteousness and perfection that Jesus Christ has set for us. Now, let's get a little clarification before we go any further. When Jesus says, you will be judged, what does he mean? If we read that the wrong way, we could almost get a sense that our salvation is dependent on what we do in this life and how we treat others. And I want to make sure I, I clarify that for us. Jesus, when he's talking about how you will be judged, when he says, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. When he talks about you being judged, he's not talking about your final salvation. Why? Well, we know from scripture that that judgment, the judgment of salvation is dependent on one thing alone. Not two, just one thing alone. It's dependent on Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. And if you know Jesus Christ and you've put your faith fully in him, you've repented of your sin, you've trusted in Christ and you have made him Lord of your life and you are now living in submission to him. The Bible says you are no longer found guilty. Romans 8 chapter 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's not talking about the judgment of salvation. But the Bible talks about judgment a few other ways in scripture. One of them we covered last year when we studied the book of Romans. We talked about how God oftentimes will execute his justice, his judgment on you in this life. And that's judgment. So when you fall into sin, oftentimes the natural consequences of your sin or the, the consequences that befall you as a result of your sin is actually a form of God, God's judgment that's coming on you in this lifetime. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He says, look, when you, when you treat others that way, when it comes back on you in that same way, make sure you understand that's God's judgment on you because of your behavior in this life. Now, is this passage teaching that there is no room whatsoever to have judgment towards another person? Well, interesting. Is Jesus teaching that there's no place in a Christian's life to ever call out sin in another person's life? I don't think so. Why do I not think so? Well, first of all, the passage actually says in a moment, then you will see clearly to get the speck out of your friend's eye. There is a place, once we've been healed, and when we do it appropriately, which we'll get to, to actually help a friend get a speck out of their eye. We see this all through scripture. So, for example, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, Paul instructs Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reproving and rebuking, that's tough work. That means to actually call out sin, to, to have a hard conversation with someone and let them know that you see some things in their life that, that aren't working towards the glory of God. That's reproving and rebuking. Or how about Matthew chapter 18? Later on in this gospel account of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18 is the famous passage where Jesus tells you how to, ha how to enter conflict with a person. When you're in conflict, with, he says, go tell the fault to your brother between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So there's a place in the Christian's life for going and sharing a fault with them, some mistake perhaps they've made. Or maybe in Matthew chapter seven, just a little bit later, he says, beware of false prophets. Well, how do you know what a false prophet is? Well, you need some level of discernment. You need some level of being able to say, wait a second, 
This is off of the standard. This is not right. Well, what is Jesus actually saying then? If we need some level of discernment to gauge what is right and wrong in this life, and there is a place to approach properly, but Jesus says in this passage, don't judge, what therefore is he saying? Well, I think the illustration he uses helps us. He talks about a log in your eye and a speck in someone else's eye. And this is getting at the heart of it. Now, he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Now, this is Hebrew humor. For those of you that don't realize, this is Jesus being pretty hysterical. In fact, the disciples that would have listened to this, they would have been cracking up right now. They would have been just slapping their, their knees. Oh, Jesus, that's hysterical. That's funny, a log in my eye. Oh, I totally get it. That's a good one, Jesus. Good joke. That's what they would have been doing. Why? We don't get Hebrew humor, but Hebrew humor loved hyperbole and exaggeration. We always see Jesus using hyperbole and exaggeration, and oftentimes, there's a bit of humor involved with it. And so, they would have been cracking up. They would have been belly laughing. Jesus, you're so funny, a log in my eye. The picture is clear, right? That would have been an outrageous image to to consider. And then in verse 5, Jesus looks at them after making them laugh, and he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eyes, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye. You hypocrite. See, what hypocrisy is this? It's the hypocrisy of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is our very natural human tendency of exaggerating other people's faults and minimizing our own. There are entire books on leadership written on this exact principle of how so often leaders, what they often do is they find everyone else's faults and they think they're perfect. They don't have anything wrong. They have nothing that they need to take care of. They got no faults of their own because they themselves are Jesus. But this is what every single person so often does. And it's self-righteousness, pretending that we also have not fallen short of God's standard. Now, something profoundly sinful and unchristian is taking place when followers of Christ behave this way. Why? Because in a way, we're playing God. We say, you know what? We're going to be judge, and sometimes we're even going to be executioner. We've made our judgment internally, and sometimes we'll cast that judgment, and we'll condemn them, and we'll find our vengeance on them physically as well. It's totally unchristian. Let me give you some ways that I think we do this. These are subtle ways. Sometimes it's really overt. Here's a couple ways you know if you're being self-righteous and judging somebody. When we regularly speak to other people about their faults and their weaknesses, in other words, when you have an overly critical spirit, if when you look at somebody and you got someone in your life that basically most of the thoughts that go through your mind are about their weaknesses, you're being judgmental. When we are quick to dismiss criticism of ourselves as unimportant or uninformed, you know, you look back, someone tried to bring some criticism towards you and you just quickly just shrugged it off. It wasn't right. They missed it. Totally wrong. That's not it. They were probably right. Whatever they were saying, they were probably right. They have a better picture of you than you probably have of yourself. We're very biased. When we judge an entire life by its worst moments, this one's real popular. When we judge an entire life by its worst moments, all we can see is a caricature of that person. We saw what they did here. We know about X, Y, and Z. Therefore, they fit in this box. Now, can you imagine for a moment if someone did that to you? You don't need to tell anyone else what your worst moments were, but I know you got a couple of them. I got a couple of them. What if someone judged you by all your worst moments? What caricature would they make of you? See, it's it's self-righteous judgment, isn't it? 
When we assume to know the hidden motives of another person and we sit as judge and we say, oh, we know their heart, right? We see the actions they took place and then we go have these conversations about what their heart was. Oh, we know their heart. We know what they were after. We know their motivation. You know their heart? You don't know their heart. You don't know their motivation until they share with you their heart. You don't know anything. But we do that all the time, don't we? We think we know their heart better than anybody. When we gossip and critique others negatively behind their back, guilty. See, all of this is deeply unchristian. And it's deeply unchristian for two clear reasons. Number one, when we self-righteously judge another person, we're denying two fundamental cores of the Christian faith. Number one, we're revealing that we don't really believe that we ourselves are as sinful as the Bible says that we are. We don't really believe that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We believe that some have fallen a little short, that's us, and others have fallen really short, that's the people we're judging, right? That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is all have fallen short of God's standard of righteousness and holiness. That's us and everybody else. So when we elevate ourselves as morally superior to another person, we're rejecting total depravity. We're rejecting the idea that we all fall short. Not some, not in differing degrees, we all fall short of the glory of God. And then secondly, we're rejecting grace. Because grace says that that you're going to get what you don't deserve. Grace says that Jesus is going to look at you and forgive you fully and give you what you don't deserve despite the fact that you've made mistakes. And then when we treat other people by judging them and condemning them and avenging them based on the mistakes they've made, rather than on extending grace and forgiveness, we're rejecting the doctrine of grace. We're receiving it freely from Jesus and refusing to give it to another person. And Jesus has a number of parables about that in the New Testament where he says, woe to the people who behave that way. Self-righteous judgment. I wonder how often this is sneaking into the church. See, here's the thing. You, you don't know someone's life. I told the children the story about stubbing their toe and getting pudding on their shirt and walking through a spider web. Life gets a whole lot more complicated than that. Man, we got some scars. It's not just stubbing your toe. People have done some terrible things to people. And what's happening is that we got these people walking around in our life that have such emotional scars with them. And all we see is this sliver, right? All we see, just imagine their whole life as this big circle. And then all you see is this little sliver, like a little little sliver moon on the edge of that circle that's their life. And here's what you see. You see a handful of mistakes. You see whatever the things are that you've judged them up, sized them up, and written them off. What you don't see is the tragedy of events that have occurred in their life. You don't see what's going on in their mind and in their heart. You don't know the scars. You don't know the PTSD they have from events in their life. You don't know the depression they're walking around with. You don't know the amount of shame and ridicule they've gone through in their life and the the times other people have sized them up and written them off and then they've turned to, to vices to kind of get through life because life has been so hard on them. You don't know any of it. None of it. All you know is this little sliver of a moon. Size them up write them off without knowing anything. We make a judgment on that person. How unchristian can we be? 90% of the world thinks this is the way we behave. I think there's something to that. As a recipient of grace towards a broken sinner like me, as Christians, we ought to make it our aim to not condemn people from a distance, but to restore people. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones captures this. He says, when Jesus talks about the eye, he's talking about the most, one of the most sensitive pieces of the whole body. 
you know, you can't touch your eye without the eye seizing up and then it, you can't open it for a while. If you're going to do work on someone's eye, you have to come with the most precious carefulness and, and calmness and steadiness of hand. You can't just go into someone's eye and start messing around with it. And then he says this, transfer all of that into the spiritual realm. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. You are going to handle a soul. You're going to touch the most sensitive thing in a man. How can we get a little moat out? There's only one thing that matters at this point, and that is that you should be humble. You should be sympathetic. You should be so conscious of your own sin and your own unworthiness that when you find it in another far from condemning, you feel like weeping. You're full of sympathy and compassion. You really do want to help them. You have so enjoyed getting rid of this thing in yourself that you want him to have the same pleasure and the same joy as you. See, that's the posture. This is what Jesus is getting at. When he says, judge not, it's that we first see the brokenness and the sinfulness in ourselves, And when we begin to see the faults in other people, that we first recognize the reality of scripture that you too carry those same faults. It might look different in your life, but it's there. And Jesus extended such grace to you when you put your faith in him. He went to the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. You are not one who has earned your salvation by good works, by having your life together, by paying your taxes, by doing the things that you think you ought to do. You are a sinner who earned grace by Jesus Christ when Jesus earned it for you on your behalf. It's all about our posture. So when you want to love somebody by calling sin out in their life, we come with such a compassionate gentleness towards the work on their eye, never looking down on them, never looking down your nose at somebody, rather first looking inwardly and weeping alongside with them that they're experiencing what you know full well you've experienced in your life. And you want to love that person well. See, if you're a Christian, then you haven't been judged by a, any other standard than the standard of grace and mercy. That's the standard we are to give, give other people. Now quickly, verse 6 before I close, I want to touch on this interesting verse, and it's very relevant. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. A harder verse of Jesus's. And I think I know what it means. I think I've actually experienced this a number of times. When Jesus is saying this, he's referring to dogs and pigs, and he's saying, Look, there comes a time and a place where you have tried to love a person, and you have been honest before the Lord. You have been sympathetic. You, you have done what you can and you have tried to love this person. You tried to share the kingdom of God with them and tried to share the gospel with them and love them. And what keeps happening is it gets turned on you and manipulated. And, and you actually are finding your play, yourself in a place where you're before dog-like or pig-like behavior, where no matter what kind of love you give to a person, it's just coming back on you and they're beginning to harm you. They're beginning to twist it, to manipulate you, to harm you in some way. Jesus says... There actually does come a time where, to the best of your knowledge, you walk away from the situation. This should not be done regularly in a Christian's life as you're loving other people in your life. You should not just give up on people easily. No way. Jesus didn't give up on you. But there comes a time in this life where when you have tried to love somebody and you have gone honestly before the Lord and it just keeps getting manipulated and turned around time and time again where you say, I've done all that I can to love this person. I need to walk away from this. And that is the most healthy thing you can actually do. Now, I want to close by asking you a very important question. Who have you been judging? I need you to do some introspective reflection right now. Who have you been judging? 
Who have you sized up and written off? My guess is, if you're like me and you're studying this passage right now, you got someone in your mind that you've been judging. Because I got someone in my mind that I've been judging. And we're all in the same boat, remember? Who have you been judging? Who have you gossiped about? Pretended like you knew their heart motivation when you didn't know their heart. You didn't even know the whole situation. You just knew the little sliver that you saw. God's word says that there is judgment coming on you for such behavior. Don't miss that this is a judgment passage. And I want to make sure that you don't experience that. I don't want to experience that. I don't want you to experience God's judgment. God's judgment is terrible on our life. And so I want you to repent of it. This is what, this is what we do. See, God says when there's judgment, the way to get out of that is to repent. And that just means to turn and trust in Christ. We confess to God what we've done wrong. I need you to be honest with the Lord and just confess. And then in confession, when it involves sin towards another person, you as a Christian need to confront that person. And in some way, you need to find a way to lovingly share that you have been (laughs) sizing them up and judging them incorrectly. Repentance oftentimes involves first with God and then second with another person. Now, if you liked the first part with God, but didn't like the second part with the other person, my guess is you really need to do that second part. Because what it means is you've really been judging that person. That's not always the case. But my guess is right now, if you're thinking, don't make me do that, Rafe, it's probably because you really need to do it. And I'm guessing also that there will be so much kingdom fruit that would come if we would actually turn and stop judging people and learn to love people the way Christ has. May God remove a spirit of self-righteous judgment from our midst. And may he get the glory and may we get the joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning and we recognize that these words are hard to hear because sometimes I feel like this has just become baked into our life. It's just part of the regular everyday ingredients. But God, you call us to a kingdom ethic. You call us to turn, to trust in Christ and to have Jesus renew every part of us. And so take this away from us. We don't want to be judgmental. We want to be full of love and grace and compassion and mercy because that's what's been shown us. We pray you would do all this work and much more in Jesus' holy name. Amen.